From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. There are no shortage of online personalities who give the impression you can have it all, that life is one big adventure, and that wanderlust is what you were made for. But what if you want to have that sense of being out there, that on adventure kind of lifestyle, but also maintain a sense of connectedness, a sense of home base? My guest today is Teresa Christine, and she writes an incredible blog around just that notion of how is it that we can create adventure everywhere we go all the time and not necessarily go to Nepal to do it. She is also somebody who discovered the art of writing and the craft of writing through her own exercising, her own efforts. And that's opened up a huge opportunity for her in business that I think all of us can learn from. But what I'm most impressed by in her story is her willingness to be honest with what she really wants holistically and how creative she is and how she goes about getting it. Teresa, Christine, welcome to Converge. Thank you. It's great to be here. We have a common friend in Paco, and yes. Paco is a fan favorite in our community. And for those of you guys who don't know, you guys can have to check out the archives at Converge, or even if you attended our Ghost Summit, you you got to know Paco. But you guys are part of a common community of creatives. I didn't mean to use all those Cs, but um, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your world and the reason you care about the world that you serve. Sure. So I am a writer, and I actually kind of got into what I'm doing now I mean, I've been writing my entire life. I have so much passion about writing, but I was not really sharing my writing for a really long time until I started my own blog. And when I did that, it quickly became this obsession of mine. It was something that I just loved doing. I felt like I discovered my voice through writing more. And just by chance, I lost my job that I was working at the time. I was a personal assistant and I kind of knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for my, my entire life. And so I lost this job right before I was about to make a move. And it just kind of seemed like the right time to jump into full-time freelance writing. And I can honestly say all of the work that I've gotten as a freelance writer is because I started a blog. And I feel like not only can I attribute that success to it, but just discovering who I am as a person through my writing has been the most unbelievable experience and really strange and wonderful that I've been doing it my whole life. But it wasn't until I was sharing it that it really, really turned into something. So what I'm hearing in that is you started this writing for yourself. The blog came along, you discovered your voice, and you found yourself in this opportunity to be a full-time freelancer. But there's something in that transaction that happened where, like, first it was a conversation of one, you're talking to yourself, and then you brought in these other people, these folks that are now reading your blog and paying attention. What did you learn from your audience in the process of writing to them, not just to yourself? I think it was really helpful to put the focus on these other people that I was trying to help rather than focus on myself. So when I was writing in journals and I'd had 
personal blogs before that I didn't really share with people too. When I was writing those, it was just for me and it didn't really force me to kind of take a different perspective. That's one of the big things with writing that I found. It's about knowing yourself, but it's also about understanding who it is that you're trying to reach and who it is that you're trying to speak to. Because when people, whatever it is that they're reading about you, whether it's on your social media or it's on your website or it's a cover letter, whatever it is, they don't want to feel like you're just writing to yourself or just writing to some like mass blanket of people. They want to feel like you are talking to them. And so to sit down and think about who is it that I want to be helping Who is it that I'm trying to reach here? What kind of skills do I have? That self-examination was really useful in kind of putting more direction into my blog because when I started the blog, I was still kind of writing for myself a little bit. And then in about, I think, a month or so, I realized it's not just about me with the blog. It's about how can I help these other people who are coming to the blog? Now, those people at tremendous times, I'm thinking, is what you're focusing on right now, primarily women, primarily travelers, kind of the the vagabonds, the wanderlust people. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. Am I kind of catching that as a kind of some rough outlines of who yes. you're talking to? My ideal client is someone who I'm kind of always finessing, but it is millennial women. So they're in their late 20s, early 30s. They have a nine to five job and they like their job. They want to keep their job but they also want to travel a little bit more and they're just not sure how to find that balance. And also along with student debt and things like that, that people face. So it's a lot of, I think, Midwestern women who are in smaller towns and love their lives, but they also want to explore the world. I love that. It's funny. I I just read a recent study that compared different categories of millennials where there's like the early millennials and then the more recent millennials kind of on the edges of that kind of demographic age group. And uh, they talk specifically about how more the younger millennials or the more recent millennials Mm -hmm. tend to have that interest in security. If they're looking for both and they want to uh, have a plan, they're a lot, they're, they're more sophisticated, they're more digitally mature, and they're looking for that balance like you're describing but the trade-off is when they have that security, they also want to like stay tethered, it appears, but also adventure out to be the kite, but have the string tied down someplace. Give some feedback on that perception. Does that sound like your audience? Yes, absolutely. It's so hard, especially, I mean, I, I can speak from a woman's point of view. Obviously, you have this pressure to kind of have it all and be it all and want to do it all. And At the end of the day, you have to kind of examine and figure out your priorities and see how you can balance things and everything. That is a real challenge for millennials because, like you said, they are very digitally connected. So, you know, they can get online and they can see all around the world. They they have so many opportunities. It's almost overwhelming and it can paralyze you because you just don't know what the next step is. And I I think that That goes just beyond like wanting to travel and have a job, but it goes into like everything because the internet brings you so much opportunity that it can be scary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And overwhelming. Like there's so many, it feels like the options are, are limitless. Absolutely. It's, it's really hard to even to just figure out what it is that you want because you are 
constantly bombarded with all of these different messages and all of these different videos and, you know, media platforms and social media and all of it, it can really confuse you. And that's where someone like me, I come in and I can help people lay out a more clear path for what it is that they want to do. I'm curious about two things. Actually, several more things than two, but I'm taking notes and I'll come to those in a second. But I'm curious, how are you alike to your audience and how are you different from your audience? And the reason I ask is I think you're West Coast, aren't you? I am. I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, I'm LA too. And when I think about West Coasters compared to Midwesterners, I know a lot of Midwesterners who now live in California. I know a lot of Midwesterners who come out here and regularly complain about California culture, even though they have a love-hate <laughs> relationship with it. And I also know West Coasters who will find themselves, maybe they like move to an area that's more affordable or whatever, or, or a little a little slower, they've had their their West Coast experience, but they land in a new place and they they both appreciate Midwestern values, but at the same time are wishing they had kind of more elbow room. So I'm so curious, how are you both alike and how are you different from the folks that you are serving? That's a great question. So I actually, I'm not from California. I am from a very small town in South Carolina. Okay. So I know that area. So it's not Midwestern, more Southern. Just a little southern town, like 15 minutes outside of Clemson. And it was a great place to grow up. I completely understand why my parents chose to raise four kids there and their entire family. But for me, I think when I reached my teenage years, it really, it was suffocating. And, you know, I got a good education and I had good friends. It just, it was not the place for me. So I've moved around a little bit. I went to school in New York City. Where did you go? I went to Pace University. So it is in Manhattan, kind of right by the Brooklyn Bridge. And funny enough, I didn't, I majored in acting, actually. That was kind of my dream growing up as I wanted to be an actor. So I went to New York City and pursued acting for a period of time. So during school and then a few years afterwards. And I kind of just hit this breaking point. I don't think that, you know, I wasn't going to a therapist, so I can't say it was like clinical depression or anything like that, but New York was just not working out for me. And it is this place that I had dreamt of my entire life. I'd wanted to live in New York and it was so strange. I spent probably two years there kind of being miserable and wondering why I was miserable. I got fed up enough, I think, that... I went ahead and I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco, and that was probably the scariest thing that I've ever done, and just ended up moving to San Francisco. And that's, I think, a great place for people who want to go and find themselves and figure things out. Mm. So in ways that I am similar and different regarding my ideal client, I think the main thing is with my ideal client, I have this shared wanderlust, and I also... I too, I like having a home base. You know, right now I live in Los Angeles. I like having a place to come home to. I like having a cat. So, you know, I don't want to be 100% nomad. And that's actually, you know, part of the reasons I started my blog was because I felt like all the blogs I was reading were very inspirational, but they all seemed to kind of lead you in this direction that was 100% nomad, like quit your job and travel the world. And that's not really what I wanted to do. It's still not what I want to do. So with my ideal client, I have this shared desire to travel 
and this desire to find that nice balance between what it is that I'm doing for a career, between having a community, and then also traveling. I think in ways that I'm different, I feel like that time that I spent in New York, especially shortly before I moved, it was a bit more of a pressure cooker situation. Like I really needed to get out of New York. And because I was put in that situation emotionally, I felt like I really had no other choice than to take this huge leap and just go somewhere else. And I think that for a lot of my ideal clients, they've never been in this kind of high pressure situation in their lives where they've had to really just kind of start over from scratch. So, you know, they've got this community that they've built up in their hometown maybe, or in the place that they've gone to school and things are going well enough. Why would they change much? So I think that is the a big way in which I'm different. And I don't I don't mean that to sound like I'm better than than these oh, people. Oh no, I don't I don't get that at all. What I'm hearing you say is that the New York experience even as it was not necessarily a I mean it was traumatic and straining and the pressure cooker that makes sense to me having spent a significant amount of time in New York. I love coming back to the West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's a lot of pressure. It can eat you up. You know, New York does that before breakfast for a oh, lot of yeah. folks. But it sounds like that exposure, because if I heard you right earlier, when you were in South Carolina, you needed to stretch. You come to New York because you thought that was where it was going to happen, and it landed in a very beat-you-up process. And then you go, you keep going west, and you find yourself in a, in a space where you get to kind of have your cake and eat it too. And, and it seems to me, especially in the digital age, especially with the audience you're speaking to, there's a sense in which you don't have to go to New York or San Francisco necessarily if you want to expand your perspective. You could tap into a place like Tremendous Times and at least get exposed. I guess some of my questions, because I, I think a lot about digital impact and the difference between kind of the live experience versus the reading about somebody else's experience kind of thing, and and even how people can live in their head as opposed to actually get out from behind their screens and live in real life. Do you ever have compassion or empathy for your audience who read about your world and mm -hmm. the way you're navigating it versus actually doing what you've done? Is there a trade-off there? Do they miss out on anything? So there's this one thing, sort of a little side tangent here. There's this kind of attitude in some of the travel blogs that I've read before that it's just like anybody can travel. And that attitude really irritates me because I do not think that everybody has that opportunity to travel. That's right. And I have so much compassion for people who maybe have some kind of handicap or disability maybe terrible money situation or even a just moderately not great money situation, you know, for a very- Or they're, or they're encumbered. They have two little rugrats. Yeah, they they've have, got kids yeah, or maybe right, they're watching right. their grandparents, you know, there's so many situations. And that's one of the things with Tremendous Times that I tried to make it stand out and be a little different is, yes, you know, I go to interesting places around the world and I try and share that and inspire people. But I also encourage people to explore their own backyard and hmm. have little weekend trips close by. You know, not everybody can afford to go backpacking through Thailand for three months and not everybody wants to. So I don't think that people have to go to San Francisco. I don't think necessarily that you have to make some big life change 
necessarily to travel more or to have these wonderful experiences. And it really, it's sort of a case-by-case basis. It's just kind of figuring out your priorities and what's important to you and going from there. And that's what I'm trying to do with Tremendous Times is try and help as many people as I can, even if they're not able to go out of the country right now. Like, that's a perfectly fine thing. But what can I do for them so that they are satisfying their wanderlust in some way? Mm. Are you familiar with uh, Chris Gillibo? Yes, I am. I actually went, he had his book, The Happiness Pursuit. Right, right. Um, He did a reading at a bookshop in San Francisco. So I went and um, heard him speak. That's great. Yeah, he's a past guest on the show. And you remind me a little of him in person uh, in that, you know, he's famous for traveling to 193 countries and he's like the travel hacker kind of genius guru guy. But it's funny because in person, my experience of of Chris is he is he doesn't want people to emulate what he's done. He wants people to pull principles from how he's done things and then apply them in their own context in a way that's meaningful. I don't want to kind of that's how I perceived him anyways. But does that resonate with you too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, his book was was really wonderful to read because I think one of the standout stories for me was this one woman who every week or one family every week they made different dishes from all around the world. Yes, they traveled by food. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's such a creative way to experience the world and to bring culture into your life. I mean, obviously, if you can travel, I think it's such a worthwhile experience. But if you can't, and if that's not what satisfies you, there are so many other things that you can do that will help you achieve that kind of happiness. And so it's really about when in regards to tremendous times and the sort of traveling that I'm trying to bring to people, it's kind of just figuring out what works in their life. If it's just little day trips, exploring museums, weekend trips, spontaneous trips, whatever it is that is going to be the most adventurous for them and kind of push them out of their comfort level a little bit, then that's perfect. That's amazing. I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. whcc.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity podcast. One of the things that I've heard you say a few times is that you don't talk about your readers, you talk about your clients. And I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about that. Like, what do you mean? So I refer to my reader as an ideal client because, well, first of all, I am hoping to launch some travel courses this year. And so this is a person who I want to make sure that I'm not just providing something interesting for them to read. But instead, I'm actually providing something useful for them that they would otherwise pay for. So for my blog, I want it to be so great that someone comes to it and would think, oh my goodness, if this were packaged up on a bookshelf at the store, I would totally buy it. So I'm just trying to basically look at my reader as a client because I do want to be able to work with them. I do want them to be interested in hiring me in the future for certain things. 
And it is, I think it's a much more effective business model than to just consider them readers. Uh, You know, I think for people who start a blog and all they want it to do is just be a, a place for them to put their thoughts, that's great. But I am interested in treating my blog as a business. So it's good to think of the people who are reading it as clients. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember years ago, there was a a book that I think was the title of it it was uh, Your Money or Your Life. And it was uh, encouraging people to relate with their personal finances like they were running a business. And what that did was it helped people level up everything in their life personally. And what I'm hearing you describe is something very similar where it's not just, I don't want just people to get exposed to an idea and go, Oh, that's clever, but to value it so much that they'd go, yeah, this is, this is something I can't miss out on. I don't want to, I don't want to pass. And for you to, as a, as an entrepreneur, cause really, again, the folks that listen in to converge, they are usually folks that are, they're making something and they're making, they're seeking to make money from that thing. Mm-hmm. And they get to put on both hats. And up until now, we've talked a lot about your creative exercises around self-discovery and serving an audience and getting to know that audience. But I'm hearing a whole other level of conversation now where you're like, no, no, this isn't just an audience. This is this has to be interesting enough where I'm competing with all of the other, you know, noise and signal that's out there that they that that your crew would really care. Mm-hmm. Am I hearing that right? Yes, absolutely. So it's it's really important for me to speak to them directly, and also to provide them with really valuable content. It's one of those things, I mean, I'm, I know that you're familiar with this as well, but you can't just start a website or start a business and not have something to show for it. And so, so much with the blog, all of the posts that I have on there are really great proof to my client that I'm going to be able to provide them with the help that they need. So when I launch my course this year, it's going to be a no-brainer. They're going to look at my website and they're going to say, this is amazing. I have a Facebook group that I've started for people who like my blog and want to join. So it's this community where I'm helping people and we talk about travel. And when it comes time for me to say, hey, I've got this cool thing, this PDF or whatever it is, this book, then they're going to be interested in buying it. And that's kind of where I'm coming from there. It's definitely a slow process. You know, I've had the blog for, I think, three years now. So that whole like blogging, get rich quick thing is not true. But <laughs> it's a passion project. And it's it's just kind of a slow process that I'm building up and building up and making it as strong as possible. So that when I launch other things in the future, like this course or a book and thing, whatever other endeavors that I want to attach to Tremendous Times, I already have a community of people who trust me and believe what I am writing. So that it that you're trying to build up over time is the relationship? Yes, definitely. It's about trust because you can't just expect someone to go to your site and want to purchase something without any kind of proof of who you are and what you can offer. So you have to you have to give a little first before you can expect anybody to want to give to you. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense to me in my own experience. It's interesting though, because a number of folks who listen to this show, they're not just writers or, you know, artists creating stuff like in those kinds of forms. Sometimes they're providing concrete services, you know, they're photographers or graphic designers or whatever. But would you say that same principle is true in those contexts as well? Yes, I do think so. Whether it's a little bit of volunteering work, quite personally, I've 
I recommend everyone to set up a blog. I like blogging changed my life. And like I told you, it, it really, I think is responsible for all of the freelance work that I've gotten. So it's a, a really wonderful, a wonderful enhancement to your portfolio and to your personal website or your professional website. And it gives people a taste of who you are. So they kind of get to know your personality a little bit better. They can dive in a little bit deeper with the kind of work that you do because you can then share behind the scenes stuff or your own personal commentary on the work that you do. Say you're a photographer, you can share some of your favorite photos from a wedding that you shot and you can share why they're your favorite or share the challenges that you encountered during this wedding. You know, maybe it rained, something like that. So not only will they get to know your personality and your work better, but then they'll also feel like they can get something out of it too and understand your process. You might offer advice to them so they feel like they can trust you and it builds up that relationship before you've even actually met them. Mm -hmm. But it also sounds like in your experience in that three-year build that you're describing, you were also in self-discovery mode. Like it, it strikes me as an opportunity for folks, like even if you don't have a ton of readers yet, mm-hmm. that you're working out your own kinks about what is your voice and who are you talking to and why are you talking to them? Like even as you described your clients or your readers, they honestly sound a lot like you. <laughs> you yeah. just, you're, you're just a, further, a little further down the line. Yes. There, I don't know who said it. I think it's kind of um one of those shared sentiments that I've heard in the business community, but your ideal client is you, but X amount of years ago. So maybe like five years ago or 10 years ago, it's you, but a you that doesn't quite understand what it is that you know now. So for me and my situation, I think it's probably me about five years ago because five years ago I didn't travel as much and I wasn't writing for the public and now it's it's a much different journey and experience. So you're kind of looking, you're like, oh, looking back and thinking, if I could tell myself this back then, what would I say? It can certainly be that you and your ideal client are very similar, just sort of on a different part of the journey. Yeah, different part of the timeline. What I love about that is you're not just looking back as, you know, Tremendous Times is just one of your projects. You have another project, your postcards to your future self. So you're not only talking to your past self, <laughs> you're also talking to your future self. Talk a little bit about that project. Yeah. So I got the idea for this project almost a year ago. I was traveling throughout Europe and, you know, I'm a writer. I love sitting down at the end of the day and writing in my journal, but this trip was just so jam packed that at the end of the day, I would sit down and I'd start to write. And then next thing I know, I'm like waking up and computer's in my lap. And, you know, I haven't written anything. I just passed out because I was so exhausted. And that kind of made me think, okay, well, this isn't working. Like, how can I incorporate writing into this journey so that I don't forget things? And I always send postcards when I'm traveling. So I have this like long list of 20 people that I send postcards to. And I just figured, you know, I can make the time to send postcards to people on the road. I should just add one in there to myself. So every place that I went, I sent a postcard to myself. And I thought, this is something that I should do every day. And it wasn't until, I guess, the beginning of this year where I was like, I need to just, I need to do this. I need to commit to it. I need to tell people that I'm doing this. 
and see where it goes. And so far, I'm about a month in because I started on my 29th birthday. So at the beginning of March, I'm a little over a month in and it has been a really interesting experience because I have this idea to turn the postcards into a book and, you know, have an image of the postcard and a bit about my journey included into the book. And aside from that, like working towards something really exciting, it's also been First of all, an interesting experience, just really dedicating myself to this time, to a project that is a passion project that, you know, I'm working towards this bigger goal that may not even happen, who knows, but I'm working towards it. And then additionally, it's really hard to write such a short amount. It's almost like writing a book on Twitter or something, you know? Right, right. So it's it's been a, a really good challenge from a writing aspect. I feel like I've become a much more talented writer in the month of doing this whole project because I have to select my words so carefully. If that's the only thing that comes of it, I think it's just been a totally worthwhile project to pursue. One of my favorite people on the planet is Anne Handley, and she and uh, Cece Chapman wrote a book called Content Rules, and then she wrote another book called Everybody Writes. And I think she would be applauding right now because I think that's right, that whether it be your Tremendous Times project or Postcards of Yourself, it sounds like your enthusiasm and all-inness around the craft of writing for self-discovery and now extending that to a deliverable that others might value and learn from and get benefit is creating just a tremendous amount of not just instrumental value, like you're going to sell it someday, but kind of objective independent value where it's like both and like you could sell it someday, but right now, if nothing else came of it, the end of itself of actually writing and the exercise and, and doing the drill is actually benefiting you enough to to make it worth it. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely a challenge, but it was the right time for me to take on this kind of challenge because I'd kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, like freelance stuff's going well. It's time to take on something else, and I'm glad that it was a self-imposed challenge and not something that it was just some other paid project or something like that, because it really, it makes me have to assess how I'm spending my time, and, you know, I've become a much more dedicated person to looking at my to-do list at the beginning of the day, so it's helping me in so many aspects of life and allowing me to discover even more about myself through writing, which is really exciting. So a couple last minute questions. So I'm picturing you you and I are sitting down and we're having um, coffee with some friends and all of a sudden they've heard your story and you now have a chance to share for them, like how can they apply this in their context and all of the things that you've been learning and are, are benefiting from. And I know you get in these kinds of conversations, right? Like you're, you're inevitably in coffee shops, literally, and you're yeah. talking to friends and they're saying like, I want to do that. I want to participate. I want to create. And I'm wondering uh, a couple things. Number one, what book do you most regularly recommend to them to read? That's my first question. My second is, do you have any like tools or things that you particularly like leveraging as a mechanism to do your thinking and recording? And do you have any habits, any of the things like that? I have a final question I want to ask at the end. But what you can be thinking about is if you had one final kind of word that would echo in people's minds 
that they're going to walk away with in one line, what would you wish for them? So first question is, what do you recommend reading and what should folks be reading about these kinds of ideas? Second, any tools or habits or things that are, have been really beneficial for you in particular? And then third, what's the one moral that people should walk away with at the end of this conversation? As far as books, that's a tough one. You know, I can honestly say that the Happiness of Pursuit by Chris Gillibo that we were talking about is yeah. really quite fantastic. And it definitely, you know, I read it years ago and it certainly sparked this idea of like, what kind of pursuit am I going on? Like, what am I looking for in my life? So I think that that's really good. That That's a great read. There are also just so many amazing memoirs, I think. I love reading memoirs. And I think that uh, it's really a great way to experience someone else's life and, and see what it is that makes them tick. And there are just so many different varieties that you can read out there. So I encourage you to read as many memoirs as you possibly can. I just read uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and it was brilliant. It was such a, a an incredible like you're going on a journey with somebody through their interpretation of their life. And I couldn't agree more. I I think that's such a fun process. That's great. Yes. So whatever you can get your hands on, because everybody writes differently and it will be really eye-opening. Any favorites that you have in mind? The one that was absolutely hilarious is You'll Grow Out of It by Jessie Klein, I believe is her name. And she wrote for one of those MTV shows or it was like a VH1 show where they, it was satire basically. And they'd make fun of news of the week or something. Mm-hmm. And she was absolutely hilarious. She is a brilliant writer and I highly recommend that one to anyone. And I highly recommend people to listen to it too. The audiobook was great. That's one of the recent ones that was a standout where I was just like, Oh wow. Another one also I have to uh, mention is Jhumpa Lahiri's book. It was one of the best sellers. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with it. And who's the author? Yeah, Jhumpa Lahiri, I believe. Did I make that up? What a great name. You couldn't have made that up. That's such a great name. <laughs> <laughs> the book is written from, it's basically a love letter to the Italian language. Hmm. And she is not Italian, but she fell in love with the Italian language. And so she wrote this book in Italian and then had someone else translate it into English. Wow. It's very interesting because you would think, why wouldn't you go ahead and translate it? And actually, she wanted to kind of have this other's perspective. It's a fantastic book, a really good read, and so beautiful. I'd absolutely recommend that as well, just because it's an interesting project to take on. She was like, I know I'm going to fail. I know that I'm not going to be as good as other Italian authors, but I have to do this. I love so, it. And I'll send you the link to that because I just I don't be... know why I can't think of the name. No, that's all right. That's great. And that'll be in the show notes. And then uh, any tools or habits? A couple tools that really help me out. First of all, Trello to manage tasks in general. I use it every day and it's awesome. And... So I always recommend for people if they're, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not really a great writer or I want to get better at writing. I think it's great to have some kind of daily writing practice. And that's actually quite a lot to ask because I think a lot of people envision a daily writing practice as end of the day, sitting down with your journal, peaceful time. And that's very rare for people to actually have that. 
Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, it's hard. It's And it's hard for me. For the longest time, I was like, writing in a physical journal isn't working for me. Like, what is wrong with me? And there are so many ways to record your writing, like on napkins, on your phone. There's an app called Day One. That's yeah, really I love fantastic. Day One. I love Day One. I love Trello. Oh, these are great recommendations. I love yes. it. So, you know, I would definitely... If it's not day one, or I think it's a journal, which is what it's called on Android, if it's not something like that, and you want to improve your writing, go ahead and just try and incorporate it into your creative process in some way. So have a piece of paper and just write things out as you're illustrating, or after you've done a photography shoot, whatever it is, make a way to inject a little bit of writing into your day. And it just, it doesn't have to be at the end of the day in a journal. And I think that's probably the best tool is thinking about writing in a different way. But for me personally, day one has been awesome. I love them. I do too. It's it's such an elegant app that works on mobile and desktop. So so it's just a pleasure to write it. They also understand Markdown. So if those of you guys are out there and understand what Markdown is, it's a great way to kind of write and format simultaneously in a real easy way. But I love those examples. But here's the pinnacle of the conversation. I'm so excited. And I'll give you the last word on this, Teresa. Like, what is the moral of your story? What do you wish people would walk away with? I hope that people walk away with a genuine excitement to pursue these things that that they are wanting to pursue, even if they know that there's going to be failure involved. I've encountered a lot of failure with my writing and It's a matter of just of not accepting defeat and saying, oh, well, I'm just not a good writer or I'm just not a good whatever. This isn't what I'm cut out for. It's trying to look at it from a different angle. And I think that that is going to definitely help your listeners as much as possible to reassess how it is that they're approaching things and to do it in a different way if it's not working, because that could be the right way for you. I'm so grateful for this conversation. Thank you, Teresa, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, by the way, how can people find your stuff with Tremendous Times and Postcards to the Future Self and you? Like, where where should they go to to catch it all? Sure. So, TremendousTimes.com is my blog's URL. I'm on social media as Tremendous Times. So, at Tremendous Times. I use Instagram primarily or Pinterest. So, if you're looking for some travel inspiration, Pinterest is a great place to check me out. And postcard to my future self is my Instagram handle for the postcards that I'm sending to my future self. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you. This is episode four, season four of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. Converge podcast is brought to you by fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your fastermind underscore. Go to fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.